0: Love this podcast? Support this show through the ACAST supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hi everyone, Telling here. You know at our podcast we were wanting to center the perspectives of people who look like us and women as well as marginalized people who has been historically pushed to the sideline of conversations. So if you haven't already we welcome you to engage through our Instagram or Facebook page by leaving a comment or simply support us by subscribing our podcast from ACast, Apple, Spotify and Google. It will make a huge differences to increase our visibility and centering the conversations we have from our pod. Enjoy today's episode.
1: Yo yo yo, this is Jesse too. Hi, this is Helen. And it is Asian Bitches Down Under podcast you're listening to right now. Um, Helen, how's your week going?
0: Um, without Facebook on connecting all the news, yeah, I'm oh. doing all right. Yeah, oh, but you're surviving. I, yeah, but I have a confession to make. Yeah, um, because usually during the weekends we go out for like brunch or lunch. I don't cook. And then I thought that, oh, instead of just browsing my phone through all the news apps, I might as well just go and get newspaper. Like, I haven't got... Purchased newspaper for like ten thousand years.
1: Wow. <laughs> like actual... Okay. I didn't. Number one, I didn't know that you've le- lived for ten thousand years. Secondly, I was actually just at the news agency picking uh-huh. up picking up um, a couple of packages. Somehow they didn't come to my home. I had to go to acquire acquire packages that was uh-huh. sent to me. But yeah, I saw that SMH. Um, half of the front cover of SMH um, is an ad for Harvey Norman. Oh yeah. Like when the fuck did yeah, that happen? And also, it's, it's three dollars forty. Since oh, when yeah. did a daily newspaper cost three dollars forty? What the fuck? Like even like weekend papers didn't used to cost that much. Yeah. So on
0: last Saturday, I purchased the Saturday paper because I don't want to read anything that's by Murdoch, and it's really hard to p- purchase anything that's like the media industry. It's not. It it's not easy to come by that is a uh, content that is. Out of Murdoch's reach, so yeah. I got Saturday paper on Saturday, and on Sunday, like I told you, that I just said I'm gonna have a confession to make is that I accidentally purchased the Daily Telegraph.
1: <laughs> whoa, 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 wait, <laughs> how did you accidentally purchase the Daily Telegraph? How does that happen?
0: So we were driving to one of these um, eatery, and on the way, I was asking my family members, "Can someone look up on the map if we can we're going to pass any news agency?" Um, so like on the way that I can pick up a newspaper before we head on for lunch. And then uh, my son said, that oh, there's petrol station. You can just buy, you know, like something that you never consider because when you think about newspaper, you think about you have to go to the news agency because you haven't purchased a newspaper for so long. Anyway, he said that, oh, just go to petrol station. They have newspaper. So I popped into Seven Eleven on the way. And I saw there were only the Daily Telegraph, the Sunday version, on a shelf. And there's nothing else.
1: Yeah. And I was just looking around. Typical (laughs) Uh, gas stations. But yeah, go on. And I
0: looked around and I thought, oh, okay, there's nothing else. Should I just look through the, I don't know, like the magazine shelves and things like that. And then I saw like a big bunch of newspaper on the ground that's mm. still in their, like, plastic bindings. Yeah. Like, they haven't opened up. But right. it's a different cover to the Daily Telegraph that I saw on the shelf. Yeah. And I thought that, oh, that must be, my first instinct was, that oh, that must be a different newspaper. It must be, like, yeah. Sydney Morning Herald or something else. So I picked yeah. it up and I put it <laughs> onto the cash register and paid for it because there was Jason Momoa <laughs> on the cover. And I thought that, oh, there must be something else. It's not. <laughs> and then it turns out that it's actually the back cover. <laughs> of the Daily Telegraph. Come on, I mean... I feel so it,
1: shit. Yeah, you must be ashamed. Come on, like, Jason LeMoa, <laughs> like, what could be more indicative that that is low-brow, trashy news, right?
0: Yeah, it's so guilty. And if I say anyway. that, I wasted five minutes to go down and purchase, oh, like, right.
1: yeah. Right, right. God, I am, like, constantly trying to get away from the news. I, mm. I respect the fact that you're, like, hungry to consume you know um the daily ins and outs of what's going on around the world i think obviously that speaks to your natural iteration uh, your natural desire for like intellectual veracity and veracity but like i'm i'm constantly trying to not reach into like any sort of social media or go online if i can avoid it Mm. um and instead just turn to books because like i feel like books are people who have sat long term with a subject matter and thought about mm-hmm. it um, as opposed to like the quick sort of like daily churn of fast food, of news. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I understand what you're feeling. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Because
0: it, it changes so fast with news and now we have yeah. like updates every five minutes. Yeah, or exactly. Minutes. And often yeah. a
1: lot of the op-eds that come out are very reactionary
0: mm-hmm.
1: and I don't tend to be drawn to reactionary responses. I think you know. human have a like a natural desire for sensationalization
0: by the news. It, it kind of kicks in as an adrenaline, I guess. Yeah, of like course. Stimulates yeah. somewhere, some kind of nerve in your body. Yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. That's right. <laughs> yeah. Well, um, um, you both, you and I, um, we consumed a lot of culture this week, this last week, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um, and so we're gonna launch right into it. Um. I. Yep. I let me start. Um. I took my partner to Govinda's over the weekend, which is mm-hmm. this like home style um food vegetarian um food buffet um slash movie cinema like. And this movie cinemas are kind of like very homey, and you get to lie on lounges. So and they're like the there's a limited capacity of about twenty people per room, mm-hmm. but um the idea is that you go and eat ve- yummy vegetarian Indian inspired food, and then you go and watch a movie. Um, I cannot believe it's now forty five dollars per head. It used to be like thirty five for dinner mm. and movie, mm-hmm. or thirty. I mean, a couple of years ago, now it's forty five. But anyway, post pandemic, I feel like I just want to support any business, you know? Yeah. Because yeah, I exactly. literally haven't spent any money um, in the last twelve months on any business except for like, <laughs> I don't know, bookstores. Um, so we went to see Promising Young Woman. Which, oh, Helen, yeah. I know you haven't seen. so I haven't um, seen, but I know I'm not gonna, the plot. Yeah. yeah, yeah, I know that. I'm, I'm not going to go into detail because there's a massive number of twists in the mm. film. Um, for you people who have seen it, um, you know what I'm talking about. Um, for those who haven't, I really strongly, like, I cannot strongly advise you to go see it Um, enough because it's like the greatest litmus test if if, especially if you have a male partner in your life or any kind of male friend you should go take them to see it because it's a great litmus test as to how they see women Mm -hmm. and like whether or not they find it um like kind of confronting you know Mm -hmm. yeah Um, well that's the point isn't it yeah yeah supposed to make them feel uncomfortable well yeah yeah (laughs) we'll speak more to i would helen and i are definitely going to do a whole pot on it once helen mm-hmm. sees the film mm-hmm. um but definitely it's like um it was a film in which when i came out i felt so vindicated and power sort of it validated my way of seeing the world the, the way that mm-hmm. i move through the world and how scary it is often for women yeah um uh, and, uh, the other thing I watched this week was the third part of To All the Boys, mm-hmm. which again, Helen and I are going to do a whole pod on. That's actually our next pod. Um, we're going to just spew all about our feelings about Jenny Hahn. the the Netflix series that was based on Jenny Han's YA books. Um, but yeah, Helen, have you seen all three? I have. Have yeah, you? Yeah, I, ca- I caught up. When you texted me the other day, it was two
0: days ago. Okay. I thinking, oh, I haven't. I thought about it because I I was, I think I told you like months ago saying that, oh, the third movie is out yeah, and then we are going to do, uh, hopefully we're going to do a pod about it, but I never caught up on
1: watching the second Mm -hmm. or third, but the last two Mm -hmm. days I caught up watching it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Okay, so it's yeah. Um, I I really I I remember being super excited about the films, especially the mm-hmm. first one, which was like massive. The second one didn't create as much stir, and then the third one just came out um, around Valentine's Day this year. Yeah, very recently. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay. Yeah. We yes. have a lot to
1: talk about on that front. Yeah, but definitely. Yeah. Before we launch into books, what did you watch this week?
0: Okay, besides so... those three movies. <laughs> Yeah, I watched those the, the To the Order Boys that I love by myself. I, I don't think any anyone in my family wants to watch it.
1: <laughs> Good. Don't <laughs> let your daughter romantic. watch that
0: shit. No, definitely not. Yeah. Um, I don't think she'll be interested in it anyway. Good. Um, so I've watched uh the Dig British movie over last weekend as well. And like a the Dig, uh, okay. an archaeologist uh, movie, it's I don't know. I don't know how to describe it. I always like to watch British movie because I like kind of like the slow paced, kind of the bleakness of the weather. And I think it was set in the Scotland and they talk about the history of this. They call uh, this guy uh, the character that uh, Ralph Ralph Fiennes. Did not pronounce Fiennes. his name? Yeah, yeah Ralph Fines. Yeah, the guy who played Voldemort. Yeah. Um, he played, um, he called himself an excavator in the film. But in, in fact, that he's like an archaeologist who digs things up, trying to find the history behind it. Apparently, that he was, uh, I shouldn't spoil it, but it was a story about digging up um, some Anglo Saxon historic ship mm. in what someone else is like a very upper rich white family's mm. backyard. Mm. Anyway. Mm. um... I don't know if I can re- recommend this film, but it's if you want to find something that's kind of historical because it's based on a true story, it was set in World War II, during the World War II as well. If you want to watch something that is uh, r- history related, slow and with kind of like a classical music in the background, yeah maybe you can watch it but to me it's slow (laughs) it was just so slow but i I did enjoy watching it 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 was something that i want to see what happened at the end
1: can i say just listening to you (laughs) it sounds boring i am so i am so fucking bored i could not that sounds like the boringest movie ever sounds like a pace for if
0: you if you enjoy watching something like in the english patient Oh yeah. God, kill me, fucking <laughs> yeah, no, yeah, solemn you, no. shit. Okay, I hate I like British it.
1: films. Or, yeah. like, n- that's not, like, a blanket statement because, yeah. obviously, like, so many British films, like Bridget Jones and Notting Hill are fantastic. But, like, um, I don't like British cinema. I don't really like British mm. culture. Like, if I could mm. compare British culture to American culture, I would Yeah, you always culture. prefer. Yeah, yeah I, always, always. It's so different between us. Yeah, because yeah. there's something, like, polished and astute and regal and... Um, Ass uh, stick up the ass kind of pompousness <laughs> to to uh, British culture that I just have. I'm just thinking the Crown, Downton Abbey, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, mm-hmm. Like kill me now. Like I can't think of it. Like and I find the um, uh, British accent super sexy, but like um, there's something uptight. This is just something, some sort of attitude of uptightness and um, restraint, and like um, sort of like high, sort of very well postured young, young astute, very polite person that I'm thinking in my head that I just like for me I'm just the biggest slob and I just like I'm so transparent. I'm just I just like love sort of um transparency and mm-hmm. like American culture is way more like that. And I yeah oh, like do I, they? Yeah, I mean, give I me give me American like- give me an american film any day give me an american novel Uh any day give me american music any day over british music or british culture i just i have never like london like when i went to london it was like the most dreary like london is fucking out of this world it is seriously just like incredible in its own way i i can acknowledge that but like it's just got nothing on new york it's got nothing on american culture that's my. Yeah, I don't. I don't opinion. really want
0: to compare, but I do think that what you say is true. But I think that's why it really attracts me, as in, I think I always um, am attracted to not only the accent. I think it's just the way that they. I don't know how how to explain it. I think I think it's just the way that they're kind of slow, and I can't find a word to explain it at the moment to counter what you just said to be honest but I think I, I I prefer the more I wouldn't say traditional but just the type of slowness that they move within the British cinema it's just not as fast-paced to compare it with American films I think somehow there's a like a level of pretentiousness in American films as well as in how the American film judging themselves and how the world feels American feel, because there's a lot, of, a lot of violence, a lot of sex, but at the same time, they complain about the violence and the sex in relations of politics. But I guess that's uh, very much the same everywhere else. I don't know. The transparency, I, I'm not quite sure about that.
1: Yeah. No, I just mean, I like, was, if you... Yeah. I, and, and obviously, everything I'm saying about America is basically, like, 99% of it I'm talking about in reference to New York. So, everything mm. I've said about America <laughs> is so, is so New York based. stupid because, yeah, I'm just completely saying New York, yeah, because everywhere else in America, like middle America, you know, um, Arkansas and Ohio and South Carolina, a lot of culture. Yeah, yeah, I mean, they're so conservative, all those, you know, down south. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, obviously, when I compare American to UK culture, I'm I should rephrase it and say New York compared to London. <laughs> yeah. yeah.
0: The, on the subjects of the other film, Um The White Tiger. Uh, What's that about? Came out, um, It's an Indian-based movie but the the dialogue within the movie is between Hindi and English. It's based in Delhi where this They talk about caste. As mm, in, you right. know how the Indian caste, are? it's Just so, speaking of transparency, this movie is so transparent about servant and masters and caste systems in India. I know that we've always known and heard about it, but this movie I highly recommend to everyone. It's just so explosive about the relationship of um, lower caste and higher caste, how they work in the society of India and how, I don't know whether or not that it's going to become more Revo- what's the word, revolutionary because now uh, lower castes have more access of information, probably, you know, through internet and things like that. They're seeing worlds of outside, whether or not they want to climb up. But this movie was, I think it was based on a novel. Yeah, it is by a novel. Um, it's an adaptation of a 2008 novel by Aravan Adiga uh, with the same name, White Tiger. So the story is about a lower caste Indian man, baron, who came from a very poor Indian village and uses his witty, smart, you know, kind of like an intelligent methods and to escape from poverty. Like you said, that you're always saying that you are watching too much white, Caucasian-based movie. I think. Oh yeah, everything I one, watch is that. Yeah, <laughs> this one it's all Indian cast and I I feel like it's just a very, something that just hit me when I was watching towards the end, knowing that uh, there's a sense of the servant wants to break out from the cage to not live like the previous generation before Yeah. at the same time that he is not going to turn out like his master he's trying to also improve the system, not exploiting Um, others who Mm. could be lower than him yeah and kind of remind me of the book that i spoke to you about a couple episodes ago uh the diary of the madman where he implies how our human society is like zombies we're eating other people to for survivals yeah yeah i think it's very real i've heard a lot of like um like bloggers or youtube not youtubers but just years ago a lot of um, celebrities in Taiwan. They say that um, if you if you have an opportunity to go to India, you should. Mm. I think they're implying the same as what you said about New York. If you have the opportunity to go to New York, which oh right, should. okay, yeah, 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 because yeah, you see all sort of things there. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And I finished reading *The Odd Woman and the City*,
1: one of my favorite yeah. books by yeah, Vivian Gornick. Man. Yeah, genius.
0: Yeah. <laughs> it's so. What did you <laughs> think? Not easy to read at what you have make notes underneath the book,' cause you're oh passing. did I make notes?
1: yeah, you make some notes, but it's nice, yeah, um, I actually just write on books because it, uh, it's when I open a book, it's like stepping into uh the brain of someone or like um having a conversation with someone, so I like literally write my thoughts next to the lines on the page.
0: mm mm-hmm. I love how she re- referenced a lot of other artists and literature work mm. in her book, even though that I don't understand that at all. Um, mm. I'm just going to quickly read one of section here, a paragraph where she refer to one of her friends talking about loneliness. Yeah. So her friend says, Christ, how we love our own aloneness. We were incapable of giving because there was so much within our reach to grab and snatch and gather for our own and all and our solitary source. It just sounds like the words that she written is so much better to a lot of contemporary novels that I've read. I know that it's like oh, yeah. kind of part of her own memoir, but the words that she written, like you can
1: truly feel it. Yeah, she's an extraordinary writer. She's known as a memoirist, but I think that kind of. I think that label devalues what she does. She is an extremely astute observer of like life as a woman living in New York. So it's one of her most famous memoirs, The Old Woman and the Woman. She has a couple of other ones. Um, she has a very sort of um, chaotic relationship. Uh, chaotic is not the right word, but she has a very like tumultuous relationship with her mother who I, I believe, I guess, is no longer alive because Vivian Gornick is in her 80s now, or 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, I've always been drawn to... I, I feel like what's really interesting about the women I have really admired in my life, um, they tended to all have had re- very um, messy relationships with their own mothers. Mm. You know? Um, and also another thing that I have found myself drawn to is um, books about... Um, women who have had divorce, divorce breakdowns, which mm-hmm. like books, um, and which brings me to what I've been reading again. So I went to one of my genius friends house, SL Lim. She lives around the corner to me. Um, and she, um, when I went to her new apartment and she had her book set out and I plucked out Rachel Cusk's After the Math. And Aftermath is a book I read a few years ago, I believe in 2018. um, And it was around the same time I also picked up Katie Kitamura's uh, book, A Separation. And both books, one of them is a fiction. So Katie Mm Kitamura's book is fiction. um, Aftermath by Rachel Karski is non-fiction. But both um, both of them tell the story from a woman's perspective of a marriage breakdown. And I've always found them extremely... It's almost like reading the Bible. When I read about a woman writing about the breakdown of a marriage, Like I'm not going through a marriage breakdown, but I've always found it super cathartic. I think almost as a way so that if I ever come across a divorce in my life, I will be ready for it. And I feel like Mm -hmm. there's something in me that is... I'm not saying that if I get married, I'll get divorced, but that's always been something like in my brain because I'm such a naturally restless person. And when I don't like something, I immediately leave it. Like, I never Mm -hmm. stick it out. I never stick it out. That's why I've had, like, a gazillion boyfriends. I just, I never stick it out. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not willing to work through something if I don't feel like I'm feeling the other person wants to be in this relationship. And um, Mm -hmm. Rachel Cusk is an extraordinary writer. Like, her sentences are magic, basically. Pure magic. And I just love reading from the perspective of a very highly articulate and intelligent woman, her ideas about like how she had desires and that they weren't fulfilled because she lives in a female body. Like it's so much more interesting reading about the world where um, a particular person's desires are so fractious compared to the reality and living in a female mm-hmm. body in this world really is this condition of constantly navigating this, um, this breakdown of a desire that cannot be fulfilled because you're a woman. You know, like just for example, um, I would like to walk outside at 4am in the evening, you know, Um, but that desire is um, going to put me in danger, you know, necessarily at higher risk than if I was a guy. That's just a simple example. But, you know, a lot of our desires cannot be freely and liberally and safely expressed because we live in female bodies. Mm hmm.
0: I wonder why is usually... Have you seen any male writers that write about their own divorce? Divorce? No. Or writing... No, no. You're, right. you're absolutely or right. any because... writers writing fictions about divorce?
1: Yeah, because um, men are... That's not a space for men. Men don't feel like... Either men don't feel comfortable talking about it or men mm-hmm. feel like that's a domestic issue. So they mm-hmm. think it's like lower class, you know?
0: Mm-hmm. What do you think? Well, speaking men, will be speaking about like the cis men. I think sometimes I know a lot of gay guys out there that they prefer to talk about relationship and feelings more than cis hetero men. Oh,
1: absolutely. Yeah.
0: Well, I don't know. I think a lot of times that when I am hearing relationship issues, number one will be that The communication barrier breakdown, if I'm hearing, you know, people telling me their relationship issues, most likely is that their male partner does not understand or refuses to understand Mm. what they're trying to, you know, talk about. Right, right. Yeah, and even so that I've I've heard a couple of divorce stories that, you know, the guy doesn't even understand why he got divorced, (laughs) why they were divorced, you know. Yeah. Because he refuses to understand. I think I, I don't understand why men that they choose... Not to understand, or they literally do not understand the reason that the breakup
1: happened. I have an ex- do you have ex- a theory? I have a theory, yeah. <laughs> okay, go ahead. Because it's so easy for men to be like, say the average age of a guy to settle down is 30. That's 30 years of reading books, of watching movies, of mm. reading newspapers. Like everywhere, the entire media around them, the, every, every single facet of what they engage with in their life centers them. They have yeah. never needed to put themselves into another person's shoes, exactly. right? Yeah. Um, and so then they don't think that they need to do that, and then so they are actually unable to do that. Like, their, their skills for empathy and trying to see something from another person's perspective is, is just so low. underdeveloped. Yeah. It's almost just mm-hmm. completely absent, you know? Mm-hmm. So um, I understand why a 30-year-old male is, like, inscrutably unable to to understand that they also need to try and imagine what it's like to not live in their bodies because every movie that they've seen, every book that they've ever read have centred someone who looks like them or who moves through the world in a body just Mm -hmm. like theirs, you know? And not only that, whoever that has represented the role
0: are always the position in power. Yeah, exactly. Don't you think so? Yeah. Yeah. They are always the position of power. That's why they didn't, have to, con- to consider yeah or to yeah, empathize exactly. with anyone else yeah
1: yeah precisely yeah yeah oh <sighs> so much well, to unpack <laughs> i know <laughs> every I know, time I... yeah well we're going to take a break and then come back with some news events that happened this week yeah yep we'll be right back so helen uh in the last two weeks uh, the Australian media have been hearing about this woman called Brittany Higgins mm-hmm. she's everywhere, can you please give us a clean brief wrap about what has been going on with our Prime Minister and um, this woman called Brittany Higgins Okay, I don't know if I can
0: be clear about it because I you kind of pick up information, bits and pieces from here and there. So Brittany Higgins, she was a staffer for... The Libs. One of, yeah, for Liberal, one of the minister in 2019. And she just came out, uh, I think it was almost two weeks ago, to kind of a, like an explosive case of um, sexual assault while she was a staffer back in 2019 and she had reported but apparently that hasn't gone anything further the prime minister only know the what had happened back in 2019 you know at the beginning of this month which is february so that's what he everyone, it, well, that's why he claims of course and everyone start wondering why because uh, has any was there like a communication breakdown or was it that he's lying? Everyone, like everyone's, or me, at least the media is suspecting that what has really gone on because someone had said that Britney Higgins did inform, and the prime minister's staffer or someone in his office has had received the information about her being sexually assaulted. And this mm. happened in the Parliament House as well, which is just makes it more. I don't know. I I can't find the word. Repulsive. I don't know. Yeah, repulsive. Anyway, since then, I think there's three more women came for about a similar incident and they're all pointing their finger at the same person. But at the yep. moment that the media hasn't been publicised, whether they know or they don't know about the perpetrator... It's all speculating at the moment. And I think just two days ago, uh, Miss Higgins saying that she is going to move forward with a case and bring it, I don't, I, don't, I don't know, with the... She's making, making, she's a, formal making a formal complaint, formal complaint. Yeah. With the approach of the election, was it towards the end of the year or some sometimes coming up soon, it's going to be a very interesting thing to watch
1: out, I Yeah, because I think, cause, uh, I think by, um, someone was just telling me that the election is being called... Early Mm -hmm. or something, yeah. Mm -hmm. I don't know, yeah. Again, again, I like desperately want to just escape the world, so I don't know. Yeah, you don't want to know, (laughs) yeah, but um, yeah, it's it's pretty horrifying. Um, it just shows that
0: women are not safe anywhere, yeah, even up in the parliament where the all the major decisions are made. Oh, of course, and probably particularly at in the political arena, the Uh, woman almost. Vulnerable. yeah totally yeah or any
1: any all-male space is um inherently toxic which leaves me leads me to um the story i covered this week uh in regards to mm-hmm. this uh young woman called chanel contos who's an ex-kambala student she uh, kambala is like a really wealthy private school in sydney so she um started a facebook sorry an instagram poll last week about how many of her friends had been sexually assaulted by private school kids, boys, sorry, private school boys, and I think something like half of them said yes, and so she... 76%, I think. Right. Oh, my God, mm-hmm. yeah. So she, like, totally not surprising. So she, her idea, her th- way to change her response was that the education system should be changed, so that she reckons that there should be more sex ed within the classroom at boys' schools to improve um, boys' knowledge about consent. Mm -hmm. And, um, I completely disagree. Like, um, I don't think that's going to help at all because, um, because like I have taught at boys' schools, I know the kind of teachers that teach at these schools. Like they're, I'm not saying that they're sexual assault, um, perpetrators, but there's a sort of blokiness to us. There's a sort of culture blokiness to the type of men who teach at all boys schools Mm -hmm. they need to fit in they're 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 like those guys who just like never grow out of high school they're like you know when you're in high school there's always that young cool um teacher um that every girl has a crush on and that all the boys want to be and they're usually a sports teacher you know Mm -hmm. they're the Mm -hmm. kids they're the uh, young teacher who has like a cap on all the time and like there's also something particularly traditional masculine about the pe teacher and so, yeah. if you're going to implement these sexual assault—less, uh, sorry, sex ed lessons about consent—you're going to think about you're going you you're you're going to force these kind of boys, these kind of young men, to teach, like lessons about sexual consent. Like they're the last people I'd want to teach about sexual consent. Like, um, like, and also like, like there's just something inherently unnecessary and dangerous and completely archaic about like an all male space and all male spaces are like what the whole private school system is built on like as in I, i'm talking about boys schools you know um uh so like I, I don't even know why this young woman is like i'm not criticizing chanel contos although obviously it sounds like i am um i'm just saying like i completely disagree with her solution like the solution is not easy. The solution is vague, and the solution is culture needs to change. You know, like we don't, we need to stop only making films that center the guy and a particular kind of guy. We need to stop reading books that only center guys and a particular kind of guy. Like it's, when I say culture needs to change, I'm saying the entertainment in which we consume needs to change because that's all the kind of behavior that we see. We emulate what we see, right? Um, so, like, it's just, it, it's like the Brittany Higgins story, like every few months in Australia we have these same iterations of like um, women coming out to say this is our reality, um, there's a backlash, there's this whole social media rising and then it just dies away, like this whole, these whole cultures continue to exist because, you know, like private schools I don't like this is depressing to say but private schools are never going to stop because there's so much money behind them you know Mm -hmm. there's so much money and there's so much prestige behind sending your boys to Cranbrook or Scots or Shaw Um, they're like uh, there's a particular type of person who wants their son to go to those schools I think and it's like if I ever had a son that'll be like the last place I send them Um, it's just like it's so this sending your boy to a, a school like cranbrook is so it's so like guaranteeing that they will be enmeshed in the culture of people who have so much money they don't know what to do with it but they don't care that's the thing i think they prioritize money and
0: status yeah. Over on moral issues or over someone else's safety, that's always yeah. been like that. That's why we have a parliament that is full of denial liars that cannot do their shit. Yeah. If it happens all the way up in the parliament, it happens in the school.
1: And yeah, exactly. Those boys, lo- like, like I think you said to me the other day, um, those behaviors that we see with men like Dyson Hayden in the, in you know the highest courts of this nation. Um, Parliament House, you know mm-hmm. um any space where they have powerful men uh, you you see this kind of attitude and this treatment of women, and it starts in the private school system like they learn mm-hmm. that from the very young age when they're only surrounded by men they're young boys and they're inculcated in this culture of seeing the woman as the other um, mm-hmm. and then they mediate their own identity through the world through this idea that I need to dominate women that I need to. ill-treat them um, to show them my domination Mm -hmm. and that's not going to change if we only have large bodies of people who still continue to exist around these frameworks of masculinity and like it's completely the most concentrated within um, boys private schools
0: yeah exactly i mean speaking of private schools that you you mentioned that you actually disagree of what uh, chanel can Contour says initiated you know like having the consent program at school I do find that it is questionable I, I don't disagree with you know the intention of actually changing the culture and things like that but I think I, I do wonder okay even if you administrate this kind of program at school it's going to be it's going to be very hard to to have it rolled out like the safe school program that we spoke years ago in the, with the education department that has been taken down, I, I presume, and I've seen a lot of parents, it's just not students, even the students want the program and they want to know about it, they want to change the culture. I think more likely are the parents that ha- would disagree with the programs and we're talking about not, not only in private school, I think across the school systems, both in private and public, I, I have a sense that a lot of parents that would just don't agree having sex education... If you start talking about, especially in relationship wise, because I think, I don't know if I mentioned this in our last part before, but one of the orientation that I went with my kid a couple of years ago when he started high school, there was a parent that questioned the principal, is your school going to have safe school program? Because if you do, um, I don't think I want my child to attend the program. Wow. Okay. Because... They are just so oblivious about what's happening in the world. A lot of parents are still out there. They feel like, oh, if I block my kids from anything about sex, they will not do it, which is mm. really stupid. <laughs> um, it's yeah. like, yeah, don't sh- you- gosh, your your kids have penis and vaginas. What do you think they're gonna do with them? Yeah, and it happens a lot within Asian communities as well. They are uh, not openly talk about sex with their kids, yeah. and they refuse yeah. to talk to their kids about relationships as well. Yeah. What do you think? Where do you think that your kids gonna learn from consent or non consent? They're gonna learn it from fucking oh Jesus.
1: Do you know what I think? uh, If I ever have kids, um, it'll probably be like we watch, we sit down to watch a film, and then Mm -hmm. or we read a book together, and then we'll talk about it. Mm -hmm. That's how I have often sort of. That's how I have built my strongest relationships, um, because my the people I'm closest to in my life, like, um, intellectually, the people who engage with artworks and it's Mm -hmm. through the engagement of artworks, which then posit questions about what it means to be X, what it means to be Y. And then Mm -hmm. we talk about issues that relate to us, you know? So it'll often be like, we'll watch a movie. And then through that, we, through that we mediate our questions about what we think about something through, um, Via the characters in the movie or whatever dilemma that a character in a novel goes through,
0: mm-hmm. and then
1: I'll find out stuff about how people feel about gay people or like homosexuality or yeah. transgenderism. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. it's. I think that's like the most, at least for me, the most interesting and fruitful way to engage in person a person, um, in terms of dialogues about morality and mm-hmm. how they move through the world. Mm-hmm. I also curious is that. Why does it take the school
0: to teach kids about consent? I thought, isn't that the responsibilities of the parents
1: or at least their carers? Well, yeah, you're one of millions of different parents in the world, obviously. <laughs> but yeah, every parent I've noticed um, has a different idea of what responsibility the, the school has, you know? Mm. And I think maybe if, if, if you're, Helen, if you're paying $35,000 a year for your son's education, <laughs> maybe there is part of you that feels like, um. Yeah, the school should be teaching my son about something that I can't be bothered teaching them about because I'm paying fucking thirty five thousand dollars a year for. You know, like explicitly. Um. Every every parent has a different view on, in terms of the spectrum of what they believe that a school should teach their kid right. and what mm-hmm. a parent should teach their kid. I I obviously think I have noticed in the last ten years that I. When since like 2010 when i first became a teacher and then 2018 when i left permanently um i did notice there's a tremendous increase in the level of responsibility and the content upon which teachers were put, thrust upon to teach like kids like a pastoral care um this idea of like um uh pastoral care was like very much in viewed in like a, a, a sense that the kid needs to be developed holistically. Um, mm-hmm. I, I realized, I, I noticed very quickly that teachers were being asked to, to teach a lot of things that were outside of what we learn um, subject matters in, when we train in college to become teachers. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. like we were spending hours teaching kids how to like um, set goals and um, organize their weeks around their different a million gazillion extracurricular activities um we were asked to do like meal planning for them we were asked to oh seriously oh my god get them to engage themselves in a very spiritual manner like i think that um, so just excuse
0: to become independent is all burdened onto the teacher yeah
1: yeah which is very ironic obviously but you Uh know mind you i was teaching at like these expensive (laughs) private schools um but, yeah, I remember uh-huh. just thinking, like, a lot of things that I was asked to teach the kids, I remember thinking, isn't this, like, stuff that the kids should talk to their parents about?
0: You yeah, know, like, for instance, yeah. in one
1: very, very, very toxic boys, boys' school, which I name, I won't name, <laughs> but it's, um, yeah, it's, like, obvious because I bitched about yeah. the school for so long. Um, there was a pornography expert that came. And oh, she, I remember you yeah, mentioned. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she came on a Tuesday night at around seven o'clock, and her goal was to just speak to the parents, right? Mm-hmm. And she like, she spoke for about half an hour about the uh, incredible prevalence of porn, porn consumption in young boys. Like, I learned that night that uh, fifty, more than fifty percent of boys between the ages of fourteen and eighteen watch porn every day. Every wow. single day, yeah, and mm-hmm. that really shocked me. And then, anyway, she said a lot of things and how like, uh, she her spiel, her agenda was that pornography consumption should should be an issue that teachers in PE classes talk about with their kids <laughs> in school. Yeah, and then at the end, um, she was like, okay, turn to the person next to you and start talking about what you think. And then so I was forced to talk to this dad next to me, um, and uh-huh. then he was like telling me about like um. He was telling me about how his boy, uh, not his boyfriend, sorry, his son, his son who's eighteen has a girlfriend, and mm-hmm. he was like, "Oh yeah, I think they practice safe sex." And and then here I was, like a twenty-five-year-old teacher, like talking like, to his why dad. Do I need it to was know just this. yeah, it was just so awkward. Like I was like, <laughs> "Why are you telling me that your son, who's who I probably teach, mm-hmm. is like having sex with his girlfriend?" And they're in year twelve, and like I'm just like, "I don't want to know that. Mm-hmm. I don't want to know that." Like there should be a barrier
0: yeah between me
1: and also i felt uncomfortable because like uh, a lot of these boys did see me and like i was a young teacher and like and then i had this male friend of mine who said like you know jesse they're probably thinking about you in bed and i'm like that's so gross Gross, i don't want to be thinking about that but also that's probably the truth as well Mm -hmm. you know like i'm not saying i'm like sexy at all but i'm just saying i'm a young female teacher at an all-boys school like the reality is, a lot of them probably it's creating
0: did... the uncomfortableness. Yeah, your... there was a other... yeah. yeah.
1: Fuck. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how to <laughs> deal with this. Anyway, so, yeah, <laughs> let's take a break and then we'll come back. And Helen's going to talk to us about um, today's main topic, which she will be monitoring because I. Yeah, have... just so tired. <laughs> yeah, I'm. I'm about to. I'm about to fall asleep. I'm very low in iron. Okay, we'll be right back.
0: Okay, so we're back. So this week, I want to talk about the Mother Language Day, which happened on the 21st of February, which is, I think, last Sunday. The reason I want to talk about it, because we all speak a mother tongue, which is not Mm -hmm. English, a colonial language, and it is really, really important for us. I feel like it's like a connection for us. Uh, to our own childhood and also our our parents and especially our grandparents as well. So according to UN, International Mother Language Day was proclaimed by the General Conference of the United Nations Educational Science and Cultural Organization in November 1999. The UN General Assembly welcomed the proclamation of the day in its resolution of 2002. So on the sixteenth of two thousand and seven, the UN General Assembly, in its resolution A slash RES slash sixty one slash two hundred and sixty, bloody hell, why do I have to click? I know nobody anyway, cares about that. So they called upon member states to pr- promote and um, preservation of the protection of all languages used by people of the world. By the same resolution, the General Assembly proclaimed two thousand eight as the International Year of Languages to promote unity and diversity in the international understandings through multilingualism and multiculturalism and named the UN Educational, Scientific and Cultural Organization to serve the lead agency of the year. I feel like all this kind of day and all the events that they have, it's just like another branding. Like I'm not saying that they do anything wrong, but what's the actual purpose for it, as in, yeah. yeah, okay, and what else are you doing apart from yeah. calling a day, an international yeah. day of mother language. Yeah. Um, so the term mother tongue is also called native language. It's our first language. Essentially, it's the first language you pick up from uh, your carers, your parents, whatever. From yeah, birth.
1: I don't actually like that term mother tongue okay is it genderized it's genderized yeah yeah,
0: because it tells you that the mom cares for the child at the very beginning isn't it i don't know
1: yeah yeah also i think my first language uh, my first language might have been taiwanese because you know there are like videos of me when i'm three speaking in taiwanese yeah i I, I think for all of us it's like that because our (laughs) parents speak mainly
0: in taiwanese at home is what? Back in Taiwan. Because, <laughs> we, because we were living in central Taiwan, you know. Yeah. So the southern and central Taiwanese yeah. spoke more Taiwanese, Taiwanese like right, right. Yeah, rather yeah. than the northern capital, like Taipei. Yeah. yeah. So according to some information there, yeah, I didn't know this, there's more than 7,000 languages around the world. The top five most spoken languages are English, Chinese, Chinese Mandarin, Hindi, Spanish, and French. And the oldest French. That's yeah. really
1: interesting. I would have thought Spanish was on the top five.
0: Yeah, Spanish is the fourth.
1: Or, or Portuguese. Oh, or you yeah, said I Spanish. thought
0: Portuguese. Yeah, I thought Portuguese okay. might be one. But okay. did you know that the oldest languages is Tamil, Sanskrit, Egyptian, Hebrew, and Greek? So any of the nice. I think it's only t- Tamil and Greek is spoke widely used nowadays. Let's talk about. Our own native language, Daii, <laughs> yeah,
1: Which Helen can, yeah, yeah. Well, Helen, what's your relationship to it now?
0: Um, I think I don't use it as much because no one speaks to me in Daii yeah. in my yeah. own family. Uh, well, I you mean, can do it with mom dad, and dad. Mom and dad, yes. But mom speaks back to, in Chinese, like Chinese Mandarin, Does to she? me. I don't know oh, okay. why, but I think mm. I share a lot of videos about you know Daii and that I find it funny but i don't mm. i don't feel like we use that language that much when we were growing up since we moved to australia i feel like it's like a secret language for them right right yeah, because there's a, uh, there's a say amongst Taiwanese communities that all other Chinese speakers don't understand Chinese, So it's like we can speak among ourselves. I think right. it creates identity for us as well.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah um, essentially, Dai Yi is a variety of the Hokkien language, which is speak um, natively by about 70% of the population in Taiwan, which really amazed me because I didn't think it would be that much. Mm. Uh, it says seventy percent according to Wikipedia. I, right. I I always thought that it's a lot more less.
1: Yeah, a lot less. Um, yeah,
0: a lot less. Sorry, yeah. Um, because generation progresses, uh, there's mm. a lot more connection towards the outside world. Of Taiwan people speaking more English and also Mandarin because Mandarin considered is like more international language. Yeah, yeah. So it's a language that is has evolved from the traditional south and e- south East coast of china like the mm-hmm. Hokkien and it's very similar to a couple of dialects that is in southeast asia for example singapore they had um i've got a friend who who's from singapore when she heard me talking in, in Dai Yi and she said oh it's really similar to my home dialect which is mm-hmm. 草, 草州, yeah. yeah i've never heard of it so for our experience i think i'll both sides of our grandparents speak dai, Yi, isn't it? Like um, our paternal grandfather who escaped from China to Taiwan, he picked up Chinese uh, dai Yi in order to like survive in Taiwan, you know, during right. the 50s. Right. Did you know the story that in order for him to marry our grandmother, he yeah, needs he... to he needs to propose in dai Yi, oh, and I didn't he know that. He he told me a joke when he was younger that he accidentally called his mother-in-law the wrong name. Like, uh, Amu, Amu is like mom. Mm-hmm. And he accidentally said, Amu, as in adding the, the Y sound. Yeah. So, Amu is the mother of duck. <laughs> so, <Nah. laughs> so, our funny. grandmother's mother got really pissed off, but they still yeah. end up together.
1: Yeah, Yeah. that's
0: nice. What else? I think the colonisation of Chinese Mandarin in Taiwan, like particularly during KMT occupation, you know, the martial rule period, from the 50s all the way to the 70s. From my own knowledge is that Chinese Mandarin was particularly heavily uh, enforced in school. I don't know if you heard our mom mention that, especially in the regional area where she grew up, during the post-1958, after the 228 event, where the confrontation between the citizens and the military, they were forcing, like, the ideal patriotic behaviour. Mm-hmm. So in order for them to, the KMT, in order for them to unify, they forced the, their citizens to speak only one language, which is Chinese yeah. Mandarin. Yeah, so yeah. at school, this is what our mom told me, that you will be forced to wear a plaque saying that speak Guoyu, which is national yeah. language, like yeah. Chinese Mandarin. Mm. And you'll be fined, like, a couple of dollars if you, you know, been caught out speaking Dai Yi. Really? Yeah, Shit. Yeah, like 十塊錢, $10, yeah. That makes
1: me want to s- go learn Dai
0: It's like a swear jar, you know, like right, you right. are not oh, supposed man. to speak Dai Yi at school. So there were very heavy censorship around media as well and entertainment that were dominated by Chinese Mandarin programs. Um, the audition progr- process for the candidates as becoming like a journalist or reporters, they had to speak perfect Pekingese Mandarin. What's that? Beijing, Chang, oh. as in. They have to speak like a very strict formal. Right. It sounds like a Queen's English if we um, want to yeah, put yeah, a yeah, metaphor yeah. to it. Yeah, yeah,
1: definitely. I know what you
0: mean. And a lot of local dialect musicians were censored as well. They were not allowed to publish their music. They were not allowed to play that on radio. This goes the same with the indigenous language in Taiwan as well. Right. So only in 1993 that there had been a reform to bring back the you know the native language in the community. So I think since we left Taiwan in the yeah. early 90s, that yeah. Taiwan Taiwan's government. You know the progress of DPP. They start looking into reforming the education system of bringing in Chinese language um, programs back to school. Apart from that, I think um, also indigenous community were heavily discriminated too. Like almost very similar tactic of discriminating indigenous group in you know everywhere in the world. They have been created bad image and enforced the rest of society to think badly of them. Like for example, they will call out if they spoke like native their own native indigenous language mm. in community in saying so um with the revitalization of chinese language there is well there are two youtubers that i want to recommend the first one is called 阿花思, mm. i think Sai. so he's actually like a traditional rice popper do you know the rice popper the, the traditional way of making rice pop is that you put all the rice into like this big cauldron that is covered with um like a big lid and they heat up from the very bottom with a extremely like gas stove or something like Mm -hmm. that and he pop it and he only speaks Dai. He doesn't speak Mandarin at all.
1: Nice. I like it. He
0: has a bit of the like conversational level of Hakka, which is another dialect in Taiwan. And he speaks English, that's it. Like on his uh-huh. on his videos he only speaks Dai, Hakka and English. Mm-hmm. Um, but okay, English is a colonial language. Anyway, <laughs> so his YouTube channel where he co hosts with a Caucasian dude who speaks Dai as well. I wanna see this. <laughs> they they have a conversation and they talk about news happening in Taiwan. Um, the video are in both uh, languages, so if you're an English speaker, you don't really have to worry because they sometimes they have a sentence in Dai Yi and the other person will translate it in English, as in right, repeated yeah. in English, so you'll catch yeah. up with what they're talking about. Yeah. Another YouTuber that I want to mention is Cecilia Chen. She's actually a, like a certified Chinese language teacher specialised in the Taiwanese tone and accent rather than nice. the mainland you know the the chinese term which i love Mm -hmm. um her earlier videos were actually introduced um in spanish as in she speaks spanish as well like she taught a lot of spanish students speaking Mm. mandarin uh there was one video that i watched it's just so funny because i haven't heard a lot of terms like a casual basic greeting terms for a really long time Mm -hmm. like for example uh li her Dagg her, you know. Yeah. Hi, hi everyone.
1: Yeah. And
0: washi, washi, Helen, you know, how you introduce yourself.
1: <laughs> I am Helen.
0: Yeah. What what other vocabs do you remember, Jess? Um Yaoshu. <laughs> Yaoshu, yeah. <laughs> it's so funny when you pick up another language, it's usually the swear word comes well, first in Well, isn't it? <laughs> I didn't
1: know Yaoshu was swear. Word. I thought Yaoshu <laughs> was just like You fucking dangerous thing. Like, (laughs) whenever I did something dangerous, which was, like, literally every day when I was a kid, my dad would be like, Or he would say, Kong Kong. Kong Kong. Kong Kong is also, like, um, don't do that, it's dangerous. And then another one I know is, um, which is just, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I heard my dad say that a lot on the phone when he was talking to his business associates. Uh, Which is, like, Um, How are you? How are you? Um, Which is... Have you eaten? Have you eaten? um, What's another one? (laughs) Which is like, oh, you can't do that. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Um, I remember when I was like... I remember there's a video of me when I'm three years old in Taiwan and I'm sitting Mm -hmm. on uh, Ye Ye's lap and then dad's filming us. um, We're like... We're not camping, but we're out doing a barbecue thing Uh and we barbecued at a car park. (laughs) Yeah, I remember that. (laughs) (laughs) And then um, the, the camera's scrolling to like... Helen, who's like just lying on the hammock inside the car because we had a big <laughs> car, and then I'm um, there's a little voice just saying, Baba! Baba! <laughs> and, and I'm calling to my dad, and my dad's like, "Yeah, Dimiang, <laughs> like what?" and then I'm like, go! Li <laughs>
0: which is like, like "Film me, <laughs> yeah, film me, fill me. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah." You always want to take the attention on you. I know. Yeah. I'm like, look at me, look at. <laughs> I swear, like I'm such a typical for like um youngest kid. I'm always like. <laughs> Center of attention, please. Center mm. of attention, mm. which is why I write, write books because I always <laughs> want to be the center of attention.
0: <laughs> so, if our listeners are interested, you know, Cecilia Chan and Ahua Sai,
1: I'll have that link in our show yeah, next that's this cool. week.
0: Okay, so that's it, that's yeah, it for awesome. me.
1: Yeah, well, before we go, Helen and I oh, are excited about this weekend because we're going to. Check out Fantastic. some comedy. So looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, there's a Lunar New, Lunar New Year Festival um, comedy fest going on on Saturday. Is and it where, Chatswood? It mm-hmm. Yeah, Chatswood Concourse. So looking We're forward very excited. to
0: it. It's like like my day, my weekend off. Yeah.
1: Yeah, what are you going to do? Um, what should we have for dinner? Oh, uh, yeah. Right, baudou. we've got to have bao Or something Taiwanese. Food. Have you tried
0: the one at Artaman? There's a Taiwanese one at Artaman. Oh. Yeah, yeah,
1: I have. Do they have vegan um, stuff there? I
0: probably can call and ask.
1: Yeah, yeah. I think bao has a few <laughs> vegan stuff like the eggplants, <laughs> tofu,
0: the tofu. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: yeah. yeah. Okay, um, good, good. Before we go,
0: I just want to do a quick mention again for Amplify bookstores. So they are looking for artists and illustrators to create stores bookmarks and stickers. I'm sure there are brilliant artists uh, listeners out there. Um so if you're interested, please contact Amplify Bookstores directly to submit your interest. Yeah, so that's it that's it from me. Yeah, thanks, thanks everyone. Helen. We'll chat to you next week. Bye. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.